Good evening and welcome to What the Friday. So tonight I'm going to be talking about a serial killer from the 1990s that targeted a specific group of people. And I realize this may trigger some listeners and I'll be talking about Herb Bomeister who targeted homosexual men and led a double life. It's not my intention to trigger or offend anybody, but I feel like the crimes against gay, trans, and non-binary folks are often overlooked, and I'd like to draw awareness to the fact that these people have lost their lives, and they are just as important as all the others who have been the victims of murders. Welcome to What the Friday, an after dark series presented by mystery, murder, and magic. Listener discretion is advised. As I mentioned, this community of folks is often overlooked in the true crime community. But I'd also like to point out that crimes against them are on the rise. Herb Bowmeister isn't a name that you hear mentioned often. When When serial killers are the topic of discussion. To the people who knew him, he seemed like this everyday straight-edge guy. And after he graduated from college, he married his wife, Julie, and together they had three kids. But there was another side to him that many didn't know about. Herb had the habit of secretly visiting gay bars in the Indianapolis area. His wife, Julie, said that even though the couple only had sex maybe five or six times in the 25 years they were married, she never once suspected that Herb might be homosexual. Herbert Richard Bowmeister was born April 7, 1947, and he was the oldest of four children. He had a relatively normal childhood, but when he became a teenager, that changed. Acquaintances of Herb's said that he would often play with dead animals. He was an introvert, and once he had even urinated on one of his teacher's desks. And while he was still a teenager, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but he never received any further treatment for it. So in 1992, Indianapolis police were investigating the missing persons cases of several homosexual men in the area. And in the course of their investigation, they talked to a man named Tony Harris. Harris told them that he had met a guy at a gay bar, and this man said that his name was Brian Smart. Harris went on to say that he strongly believed that Smart had killed a friend of his. And that friend was Roger Goodlett and he was one of the missing men from the Indy area. Harris told police that he believed this because he himself had went home with Smart and had nearly been killed by Smart when he took erotic asphyxiation a bit too far. And get this, Bowmeister, a.k.a. Smart, had told him that he had killed several people and he was 100% sure that he wouldn't be caught seems that Bowmeister had been doing this for years and had like managed to somehow stay under the police radar. All of Bowmeister's victims had been men he had met at gay bars, and he picked those as his victims because at that time, 
homosexual folks often left their lives behind in order to live freely so their families wouldn't know they were missing. But even with all the information that Harris provided, police were unable to track down a Brian Smart, nor were they able to find his home. This left them to assume that Brian Smart was an alias. Three years pass, and Harris sees Smart out in public again. And this time, he was able to write down the license plate number from the car. With that information, police were able to determine that Brian Smart was actually Herb Bomeister. By the time the police showed up at their home, Julie Bomeister had a sneaking suspicion that her husband was up to something, but she nor her would let them search their property. On the A&E television series, The Secret Life of a Serial Killer, Julie told how a few years before police tracked Herb down, their 13-year-old son had found a ham and skull in their backyard. And when she asked Herb about it, he said that it was part of a skeleton that had belonged to his father, who had been a doctor. And at the time, she had no reason not to believe him, but that was starting to change. Now, I honestly don't feel that Julie was naive, but you know how it is when you're really in love with somebody. It's hard to point a finger at them for something like murder. We've seen it in many serial killer cases like the John Wayne Gacy case and a few others. And Gacy's wife even had lived in the house where there were rotting bodies. And the worst thing that Julie had to say about Herb was that he was a bit distant from the family. When June of 1996 rolled around, she finally allowed authorities to search the property because Herb was out of town and she had become scared of him. He had these violent outbursts. Plus, he was acting really weird, so she was just done with the whole marriage. As afraid of him as she was, it was a bit of a surprise that the bodies of 11 men were found. At that point, a warrant was issued for Herb's arrest, but Herb never came back home. And on July the 3rd of that same year, his body was found in his car in Ontario, Canada. He had shot himself in the head, and he left a note talking about his marriage and business was falling apart, but there was not one single mention of the murders or those bodies on his property. The investigation didn't end with his death, though, and it's a good thing it didn't. Herb became suspect number one in a string of murders that had taken place along Interstate 70. Interstate 70 was a route that Herb had often taken. It linked Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio. Nine bodies had been found along that highway in the mid-1980s, and nearly every single one of those men were linked to the Indianapolis homosexual nightclub scene. Now, no, there would never be a confession or a trial for justice, but police are sure that Herb Bowmeister was responsible for all of those murders. But y'all, there's more. So after Herb killed himself, Julie and the kids moved away. The house and the grounds around it. They, it stayed vacant for quite some time. And then one day, a couple named Rob and Vicki Graves bought the property at a really low price. 
Everything seemed normal at first, but then weird stuff started happening. One day, while Vicky was vacuuming the carpets, the vacuum cleaner kept unplugging from the wall socket. It scared Vicky, and she began to suspect that something was up with the house. Then one day, when Vicky came home from work, she found Rob Payton. And after she took a look at what he was painting, something caught her attention outside of the window. Outside the window, she saw a man. And as she looked at the man, he turned away from her. But that's when she saw that that man had no legs. And at that point, he completely vanished. After that, they had security cameras installed around the property. Well, not long after that, a co-worker of Rob's named Joe moved into a spare apartment on that property with his dog. One night, while Joe was washing his dishes, there was a knock on the door. But when he opened the door, there was no one there. Right after that, the dog started acting as if someone else was in the apartment with him. But there was no one there. A few days later, Joe decided that he and the dog would take a walk on the property while they were out, he saw someone watching them from the woods. The dog saw this person too and chased after him and Joe followed him just to see if he could get a closer look. When he returned to his apartment, Joe decided to mention this to Vicki and Rob and they told him they had seen the same man. A couple of nights pass and the dog starts growling at someone trying to open the door of the apartment. As Joe approaches the door, the wind blows it open. When he looked outside the door though, he didn't see anyone. So he closed it and turned around to walk back across the room. To his surprise, a man is running towards him, screaming for his life. Well, soon jo Joe and the Graves started researching Herb's victims and Joe swore that one of them is the man he had seen in his apartment. Not long after that, Joe's dog found a human bone in the area of where they had seen the man watching them from the woods. Rob contacted one of the investigators on the Bowmeister case, a lady named Mary Wilson. She came out and showed them where the bodies had been located on the property, and these locations were actually where the paranormal activity had been taking place. Somehow, the news of this activity leaked out, and hordes of paranormal investigators and even demonologists came in search of these spirits. One of the scariest experiences that Joe had with these spirits was one day when he was in the swimming pool with a couple of other people. He was cleaning the floor of the pool when he felt cold fingers grab his neck and force him under the water. Somehow he managed to escape and fled the pool, screaming at the others to get out before the demon got him. Another time, Joe was busy working at his computer when he heard what sounded like a knife scraping the wall. When he looked, there was a knife laying on the floor. Paranormal investigators had given him some tips on trying to record the unheard voices. So he unplugged everything from the electrical outlets and he hit record on his phone. 
When he later replayed the recording, he heard a voice say, I am the married one. Has Herb Bowmeister himself came back to haunt his former property. Joe and the Graves moved away from that property last year, and since then it sat mostly vacant. A team of paranormal experts, including psychics, a physicist, a demonologist, and others, once stayed on the property for about six months, and none of what had previously been said to have happened there to the Graves was debunked. So, basically, they backed up everything that the Graves and Joe had told them. Y'all, that's just so freaking creepy. You know I watch a lot of true crime and paranormal stuff, but I've never heard about any of this. I feel like I've been living under a rock or something. And I've never done an episode that had both true crime and the paranormal on it, but there's a first time for everything. How sad that countless young men lost their lives to this person and the thing is no motive was ever established we know that he was diagnosed with schizophrenia so maybe it was mental illness controlling his thoughts and actions and we'll never know in this case well y'all that's it for tonight y'all don't forget to come back in the morning for the weekend weird files and hey why not check out our social media links i'd love to interact with y'all and you can find those links in the episode description Have a good night.